in Epiphany, which is the, uh, the season of the church after Christmas, and it, Epiphany meaning appearing. And it's the time of the church where the church invites us to open the eyes of our hearts, to open our eyes to all those that all that is around us, to see Christ in all people and all things, see Christ in ourselves, as we are the incarnate Christ, and we discover more and more of what that means as we journey forward. We see in the in the in the gospel readings the journey of the disciples and of those who followed Christ that they discover who He is, who Christ really is, more and more as they as they journey with Him, and so we're always. In the season of Epiphany, seeing um, a more beautiful and a more uh, profound, complex, I think awe-inspiring view of Christ. And last week we focused uh, on the gospel that was um, when the Magi come to see Jesus born and they see God incarnate, the Logos, Logos made flesh, the, the creative action of God made flesh in the person of Jesus, and they're drawn uh, by a star, and they reach, I was about to say the tomb, it is the um, manger, <laughs> we're not in Easter yet, the manger where Jesus was, and, um, and they see him for who he is, their eyes are opened, and this passage, uh, which the church says the second uh, place that you see the divinity of Christ, the first being last week, is in the baptism of Jesus. And, um, and actually, before we move on to that, I have a talk slide that I like up there. This is, um, I did this this morning. This has nothing to do with, what, with anything I'm going to say. But um, we're kind of like me in this basement. There's no windows. And so uh, my friend Nick, he's right there. Uh, took this picture of Long's Peak, it's beautiful, and now you have something to look at. So you can look, it's kind of like having a window. So you can look at the beauty of creation, you can get lost in that and ignore me if you like. But uh, my job is to hold this passage in front of you, which this to me is really uh, a humbling task because there's so much in this passage, and it really is beautiful. Uh, On the surface, what we see is that John the Baptist is out in the wilderness He's calling people to repentance, and what that looks like is, is people in the, in, the Israel, in the Jewish people are coming out to find him and to be baptized. Later, uh, the church calls John's baptism the baptism of repentance because it's the baptism of changing, of leaving the kingdom of this world and being a part of something more beautiful and more compelling and more human in the kingdom of God. And so what they're doing is they're coming and they're saying, I'm leaving all that's behind me and I'm jumping into a new reality that's been manifest on the earth by God. And it is like when we talk about repentance a lot of times in the church in the U.S., we talk about like kind of this, this pietistic sense of it, which that was part of it. Uh, you know, I'm going to stop doing this, I'm going to stop doing this behavior or whatever it is, or I'm going to start doing this and, and that's all good. And um, I'm part of, I'm not making light of that, it is part of the journey. But also they were coming as a people, as a nation, and there was, there was a national repentance. That they were repenting for the way in which their system that was set up, their government, their nation had, had fallen away from the ways of God. They were repenting that people were oppressed, 
people were forgotten, that people were trodden upon. And so it's this beautiful time out in the wilderness of people saying, I I want to be a part of something more compelling. It calls me to be a, a, a more beautiful expression of what I am as a human being. And they're coming into the kingdom of God. The church has said about baptism that is the great door by which all people pass through to, or invited to pass through to enter into the new reality on the earth, which is the church. And that's why we put, that's called the baptismal font. It's not a font, it's a, um, it's a bowl, but uh, church calls it a font, so there you go. But uh, the reason we put it there is because it's a reminder of the waters of baptism that we all pass through in order to be a part of a new expression of humanity on the earth, which is the kingdom of God. Every person is invited into that. And that's what we're a part of. We're a part of, in so many ways, a new kingdom. And one thing that marks this kingdom and the experience of being in the kingdom is the presence of God, of the King. I love this Isaiah passage because he's speaking to his servant, which could then be said that he's speaking to all that that choose the way of the kingdom. And he says, I'll take you by the hand and I'll lead you. And this prophecy came to people who were in exile, the Babylonian exile. They had no home. They were wandering around. There was no place of permanence in the presence of God, the voice of God saying, I'll take you by the hand and I'll lead you. I'll be close with you. I think the primary experience of being in the kingdom, as we would say, in the church, is the presence of Christ with us. I know it's easy to forget that and to be drawn into the surface things, like jobs and finances and responsibilities, and not that, not that God doesn't infuse all those things and make them beautiful and, and holy. But if you're like me, you forget what you're actually a part of. I think being in this position and hearing the stories of people, uh, quite often what I hear is people who have been in the church for a long time, they'll say things like, I've been in this so long I've forgotten what it's like to not have that presence. I've sort of taken it for granted. And there's been people that, that walk in the doors here and they get involved here and, and what they'll say is the loneliness, like there's something at the, at the core of my being, I know that something is with me now. The thing I love about our house church is, is the moment in house church when, when we gather around somebody and we, we lay our hands on someone and we pray simply for the presence of God to be made manifest in their hearts. Time after time, I've seen people just break under the weight of love, presence of God. The thing that marks us as members, as inhabitants, whatever you want to call it, of the new reality is that the King, the Creator, is present with us. It's beautiful. And then we see, I love in the psalm that we read, that that the presence of God, the the person of God is represented in the strong things of creation. 
which to me just says, I'm coming after you. I'm stronger than all the things of this world and all the voices of this world that would tear you from me and from the true reality of who you are. And then we see the experience of Christ. When Jesus walks into the water to be baptized, as he comes up out of the water and either the he was submerged in the water or the water came up to him and it sprinkled it down on him. That's a massive fight in the church <laughs> that we're not going to get into. Uh, but there was water involved and that's, that's kind of the sacrament. Water's involved, but meaning uh, gateway and cleansing. That's what that represents. But he, he comes out av- out of his experience of being baptized and he hears the voice of the Lord. But manifested like a dove. And the voice of the Lord said, this is my son and who I'm well pleased. And that's our experience as ones who follow Christ. That's what we say in the church, that we follow Christ in baptism. And that's what, for thousands of years, that's the experience of the church, that, that those words the church has, has seen are spoken over Every single person that comes through the waters of baptism and enters the new reality of the kingdom of God on the earth. You are my daughter. You are my son in who I'm well pleased. It's easy just to skip by that. It's easy to hear it and, well, it doesn't connect with me. I don't, I don't know how that make, is manifest in my own life. But my invitation to you, and really it's not mine, It's the Spirit of God calls us to hear that voice over our own lives. There's something in our programming, I think, that we're wired to to say the opposite. Like, here I am, just kind of a mistake, just existing here, and, and God is frustrated with me. There is no God, and I'm alone. But what Christ hears and what we hear is exactly the opposite. Belonging is central to the experience of the kingdom of God. You're not a number. You're not an adherent. You are a son and you are a daughter. And that identity is spoken over those who follow Christ all throughout the gospel, all throughout the early church. Now we are in Christ. One of the great uh, humilities in my life is that I'm a dad. And by that, I mean, it's a constant reminder to me of my limitations as a human being. And, um, and we just had, uh, four months ago, we had our second kid, and he uh, pretty much, as babies do, he eats, he poops, and he burps, and I think I'm done. I think that's all he does. And, uh, and I, so this is the thing, like, I know that without me, he wouldn't live very long. He can't just get up and go to the fridge and get his own food, and he can't clean his own diaper. I mean, he, he would, he'd be in a bad state if it wasn't for me. But it, there's also, there's always this point 
usually about like 8.30 p.m. every night, where I am like, not enough. And the only one who can calm him and can hold him is his mother. So the other day, I was like watching Lost in Space, um, which is a far cry from Star Wars, which I'm finished with now. Uh, it's almost like Full House in space. It's, it's very cheesy. It's family-centered. Everyone's learning lessons and loving each other. And it's this family. Uh, there's a weird ant-like figure. But uh, anyway, so I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm really into it. And, and Parker is, you know, like he, he fusses when I hold him like this. He fusses when I hold him like that. He fusses when I try to give him food. And then I put him in this thing with all these toys and things. It's frightening, actually, but he likes it. And... Um, and then, and he's still fussing, and I'm like, I guess this is just how it is. And I hear Janie come down the stairs. She goes, what's wrong? And like I always do, I say, I, there's nothing that can calm him down. There's just nothing that we can do. It's just how he is. Let's just do something else and put him in another room. And, um, and like every time, <laughs> this actually happens, every time she picks him up, she draws him close, and when he hears her voice, he just settles down. He hears the voice of his mother. And that's something that I can't do for him. But there's times that I really, if I'm, you know, I'm try, trying to be present in every moment. And, and, um, and the times when I am, and, and those times where she's holding him, it really is, I'm just in awe of it. It's beautiful. They have this thing, they have this connection, the two of them. He's like four months old. He doesn't even know how to have connections. But I guess it's just innate. But he knows the voice of his mother. He knows the one to whom he belongs. And that, as I, as I see that and as I read the scripture, that is the experience of the new reality. That we know the voice of our mother. In God, we know the voice of our Father in God, that we hear the voice of God over our lives. You're my son, you're my daughter, and he has this way of calming the storms of our heart, of our own lives. If we listen, my encouragement to you, Bloom, make time to listen, to go there. Get away and listen. Let the voices of the world be silent. That you hear a more compelling and a more greater voice that calls you really into the a more greater and beautiful reality of who you are in Christ. Through the waters of baptism, we have entered into a new reality. We are a new humanity on the earth, marked by the presence and the love of the creator. That's the gospel. It's really simple and it is incredibly deep. I just want to circle back to one little thing as we close our time in scripture. It's interesting because it says this, when Jesus is walking up, I don't know if you caught it, 
But John the Baptist, it says, he tried to talk him out of it. So here's John the Baptist who's been, I mean, he's like John the Baptizer. That's his job, right? He baptizes people. He calls people to repentance. He calls people to examine their lives and their nation and to, and to choose something more inspiring all day long. And Jesus comes up and it says he tries to talk him out of it. I don't know how that conversation went. Anything, anytime I feel like I'm trying to talk God out of something, it doesn't go very well. And then he actually says, I am the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? And Jesus said, it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. Why did John want to bail on this? I don't think that it's because he has a low self-esteem or he's self-deprecating or he doesn't realize who he is. Because he wouldn't have lived this life that he lived, which was very radical from the ways of his culture and his world, if he was self-deprecating and had a low self-esteem. This is where I'm going to be really honest with you. This verse right here is my epiphany this year. Because I'm in it, I'm seeing more of who Christ is, who he is to us, and who we are in him. What I think John wasn't getting is what I don't get, and what I think that all of us struggle with, and we're not, we're not seeing yet, is that in a normal system, when the leader steps on the, on, the, on the stage, the second in command would then hand over the reins, right? John was called the forerunner. He goes before Christ. He sets it up for Christ. And here comes the Messiah. If they didn't really even understand what Jesus would do at the time, they thought maybe he was a political leader. They thought he would be a revolutionizer. And so... I think it's, it's, it's something very human and very understandable that he sees Christ on the scene and he says, you should be doing this now. What's so fascinating about it is Jesus pushes it back on him. He goes, no, you should be doing this now. And we, this is God incarnate talking, and we all must do what needs to be done so that all righteousness will be fulfilled, so that the kingdom will be built and be made glorious and beautiful on the earth. There is, for lack of a better term, there is a collegial way about how Christ works among us and through us and in us. Because we know that Jesus, we know that most of the rest of the story in Scripture is that Jesus is always saying to his disciples, now you go be the light. I'll send my spirit to be in you, and then you will do the things that you saw me do, but you'll do them even in greater measure. In a sense that he would become incarnate on the earth again through his church, through his people, through the kingdom. Paul gets it, and he talks, Paul even says, like, for me to live is Christ. Jesus prays 
in John 17, let them be one as you and I are one and I'm one in them. And there's this whole sense of that we're gathered up into Christ. It's not just about like we're the recipients always of what he's doing. And it's not, it's, it's more deep than that. In the same way that John serves Christ by drawing him into baptism, we're called to seek and serve Christ in all people. And Christ even says, that verse, if you remember, he says, you fed me and you clothed me and you visited me when I was, they said, well, where were you? And he said, well, I was, when you did it to these people, you did it to me. There's, this, there's something in the mystery of Christ That he is what we're brought into and he is what sustains us and he is what fuels us and what calls us to be the full expression of who we are. And that's a hard thing to get our minds around. And honestly, I don't know how well I'm doing right now because it's hard for me to get my mind around. It's so natural for us, for if we were John, to see Christ coming. Oh, you should be doing this. But Jesus totally flips it. No, you do what you're here to do, and I'm going to submit to that because we are all going to be a part of this together. And then I'm going to sustain you. And then you're going to be in me and I in you. And then I'm going to send you out to do the same things that I was going to do. There's this whole like swirling of, of identity going on here. It's what it means. It's part of life in the kingdom. Is that the one who calls us sustains us, and the one who sustains us fills us, and the one who fills us sends us. Have I lost you? Maybe I have, I don't know. <laughs> what we're called into is so unbelievably beautiful and compelling and it draws us every second that we're in it into being a more beautiful and a full expression of what we are as humans in Christ. And there's times that we don't understand it and we don't understand our role and we'll have that tendency like John to kind of, no, 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 I don't think I can do this. But Jesus' response is the same to us. We are going to fulfill the call of righteousness on the earth. We are building the kingdom of God. Open your eyes to who he is. Open your eyes to what he wants to do in your life. How he wants to hold you and sustain you. Inspire you and fill you. And draw you in to a deeper reality, kingdom of God. Why don't we stand? Thank you for listening to the Bloom Church Podcast. For more information on who we are and how you can get involved, visit our website at bloom.church.